This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 35, our final wrap-up episode looking at basic liver science presentations from the International Liver Congress 2022. Episode 35 reviews six basic liver science presentations related to fibrosis that took place at a session of ILC 2022, chaired by Scott Friedman. Scott joins us to lead the discussion on these presentations, while Neil Henderson and Rachel Zayas join the regular surfers to provide their own perspectives and ask good questions. This conversation centers around my wrap-up question, asking panelists what major changes they anticipate over a one, three, or five-year period based on the studies covered in this episode. The answers vary widely, at least a couple are surprising, and they reflect the different issues we each focus on in our day-to-day life and work. These conversations cover some challenging and exciting issues in basic liver science. They point towards continued explosive increases in what we understand about NASH and fibrotic process in the liver in general. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Scott Friedman. So although I've chaired many sessions over the years, this was one of the most exciting groups of presentations I've seen in many years. I don't know if it's because the science is just maturing, getting better, and or because there could have been a lot of pent-up interesting data that just is waiting for presentation. But whatever the reason, it was I was really jumping out of my seat from all the novelty and the state-of-the-art methods that were used, uh, all of which has a lot of translational potential, none of which is directly addressing treatments because those were the focus of us. Other sessions. So in no particular order, I'm just going to give you an overview. I think some of the conceptual advances included using induced pluripotent stem cells to recreate stellate cells, tracking, and I'm going to go through these in details, of course, tracking the proteomics of different cell types to identify new therapeutic targets, uncovering a circadian clock within hepatic stellate cells, which to remind you are the fibrogenic cells in liver, beginning to zero in on the dynamics and the cells regulating matrix degradation in fibrosis regression and some new insights into how bile ducts get sick and start proliferating when there is injury. Why don't we just roll to wrap up question, okay? The one thing that we've talked about today that you can see having the greatest, that will make the most dramatic change in the foreseeable time window, however you want to define that, a year, three years, five years. Brave one, go first. Well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I actually think the single cell information is going to help us refine therapeutic targets within the very near future. In some ways, it's already being used to help refine targets for cell-based therapies using CAR T cells. CAR T are chimeric antigen receptor T cells that are actually guided missiles, and you can program them to target any cell surface receptor that's certainly in the liver as well as other tissues. Leveraging the fine detail you get from single cell methods has some really direct direct implications for choosing targets, for example, for these guided missile CAR T cells, among others. And that field is exploding as well. So the prospect of using cell-based therapy is heightened because of the single cell information that's coming out at such a rapid pace. Louise Campbell. I'll jump in next because this isn't my area of strength at all. But what I did take from it all is the excitement that if patients donate samples, that people can work on them an awful lot better. That encouragement to be able to engage with people for specimen donation, that it will be used to its max and beyond its max, beyond where technology has currently taken us, is absolutely fascinating and how much we're moving. And for me, what I also took from the session was some things can interrelate with others and they're just moving the field together and it's that jigsaw 
all coming together where we stratify and we can add it together and we can see the next step. So I may not be a basic scientist, but I can take from it the absolute strengths that this is moving the area forward. And to be able to really, really specifically target drugs for individuals, that individualised medicine as we get further into these fields, it just is fascinating. And I can see why Scott got his sense of excitement when he listened to the sessions. Great point, by the way, on donating tissues. The premium on human tissues has become greater than ever because of these techniques available to extract so much information from them. So both providers and, of course, patients need to recognize how important these contributions are. Point well taken. Let me, because we're on audio, not video at the end of the day, let me note that a whole bunch of people are nodding. And that doesn't include Rachel, whose camera I can't see right now. Neil, you have anything you'd like to share on just kind of what you think will be the drive the greatest impact over a foreseeable window? Neil Henderson. Yeah, I do, well, I, I first I want to start by saying that's a great point by Louise because, you know, the amount of data we're generating as a community now directly from human tissue is at a level I've never seen before and it's exponential. The other great thing is people are very good at sharing data sets and that's incredibly important as we basically try to build a massive compendium of human liver disease and this is across medicine but the community drive I think is fantastic. Also the funders emphasis on open sharing of data sets is essential and that's driving this on as well. But Louise's point about the patient's full participation and, and seeing what their kind donation of tissue is enabling is fundamental. To take on your question, Roger, I think Scott's right. I mean, I, you know, that's what I'm seeing currently is this tech allowing incredibly precise identification of targets. And I think that in a nutshell is hopefully what's going to drive on basically getting the first successful antifibrotics in liver fibrosis. We don't have any. Now, I think there's some coming that may not have been driven by single cell technology, but I would hope our conversion rate from basic science to properly efficacious antifibrotics in human liver fibrosis will be greatly upregulated by this information that we're getting with these technologies. So basically, I'm hoping our hit rate is a heck of a sight higher than the last 30, 40 years where we've all been trying our best, but taking mouse-based data, mouse model-based data and getting traction in human liver fibrosis has been pretty grim. So we all as a community hope that this new type of human-based data will spur that on big time compared to previous. Excellent. Rachel, you're on. Rachel Zayas. Yeah, I was I was just going to say, I really want to emphasize the use of open source data sets because it really, as Neil was alluding to, the gift really drives in innovation because you can cheaply and efficiently go to these open source data sets worldwide, whether it's the European Bioinformatics Institute or NIH and do comparative analyses using bioinformatics tools to have proof of principle before you even get into the lab. So it's really useful. It comes down to the patients and the providers and and getting the, those samples into researchers' clinics and, and research institutes. So I really want to emphasize that. And then on the commercial side, since we've talked a lot about the sciences, the cost of sequencing is going down and has been going down exponentially for the last 20 years. We've, we've really hit a, a plateau in, in a positive way where these tools are now finally economically feasible to be used routinely, both in research 
research and in the clinic. So this is going to open a world of opportunities, both on the diagnostic side, as well as the drug development side. So that I'm very optimistic about. And it's really been a collaborative approach between these different tools. So that's one thing I've gotten out of these talks. And it's exciting to see. Okay, so you're on a does that, I think that leaves you and me. Jaren Schattenberg. I'll go quickly. It's very exciting, you know, having both worked at the bench and in the clinics to be informed for drug development by these technologies is, is a real advantage. And I think we've touched some of that. I think some failures we've seen, the field mostly agrees that they were rushed into advanced disease stages of clinical trials without having sorrowly enough being informed by clinical, uh, you know, or early development data. And um, by broadening your information, or the scientific approach using these technologies and narrowing in on MOAs, looking at some subpopulations as we discussed, the, the failure rates are going to be lower. I think the expenses for drug development are going to go down and it's really coming to a time where there's a big unmet need. Neil mentioned this might evolve a little beyond non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, talking about fibrosing liver disease, and there's a real burden. So I'm very excited about these technologies and always excited to hear Scott summarize these challenging technological talks, very sophisticated and simple. And as such, uh, I think uh, this is a, a real advancement for the field. We agree on all that. The other sense I get listening to today is that um, first you start with too simplistic a view of the world. Then you get lots of individual dots that don't connect. And then after a while, the dots start to connect. So part of what I'm hearing in the conversation today is that while we don't have a fully, well, we've not connected all the dots yet, things are starting to come together and form pictures, both visually, because I'm, I'm amazed at the cl visual clarity of some of these presentations, and also conceptually. And that's promising because over time, that's when people start making the biggest leaps is when they start being able to connect previously disconnected pieces of cognitive information and put them all in one piece of geometry, whether it's a line, a box, a circle, I don't care, however many dimensions. So with that, um, Scott, this started with you. If, if you have anything else to say, I'd love for it to end with you. If not, we can wrap up. Uh, only that one other variable that we hadn't really talked about is whether there will be treatments not only for different patients, but in different stages of disease. So there may be targets that are more important when there's a lot of fat and other where there's less fat and more fibrosis. And I think that's yet another frontier that at least my lab and others are beginning to think about. So to me, the future is really bright. I'm more excited about the science we're doing and the science the field is doing than I've been in 25 years. Fantastic. And I think the perfect note on which to close. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Surfing the Nash Tsunami on Wednesday, July 13th. I'm pretty sure I know what we're going to talk about, and it's a major news story, but we haven't completely firmed it up yet, so I'll leave you in suspense. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.